0: Good morning, everyone. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet today, my name is John. I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Elmwood. And as always, I'm glad to be with you here this morning. We have been in a series in the book of Mark called Following the Authoritative Son of God. And if you've been around Elmwood for any period of time, you know that we are not really afraid of talking about difficult things We're going into some hard subjects, and this morning, we get to do just that, and it's actually in large part because you requested it. So during some of our uh, open mic times, we've had questions from you all about what's the deal with Jesus and all the stuff about demon casting out, and when it says that uh, Jesus gave his disciples authority to cast out demons. The question that is on all of our minds as we see just the amount of space that Mark gives to Jesus casting out demons and then giving his disciples authority to cast out demons, the question that's sort of in all of our mind is, okay, well, uh, what place does casting out demons take in our discipleship to Jesus? Should we expect to experience and to participate in the same kinds of things that we see here in the book of Mark? And if so, what in the world does that look like, (laughs) right? That's one of the main questions is what does that even look like? So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to talk about just that, a very subject, but what I want to do is frame it in just a slightly different way. Uh, The question of casting out demons and where that fits into our apprenticeship to Jesus is a very important question, but that is a smaller question that sort of fits underneath a larger question, and the larger question is, what does it look like to wage war against the kingdom of darkness? What does it look like for us to wage war against the kingdom of darkness? And I think that we'll just greatly benefit from thinking a little bit more broadly about that question and seeing where the the stuff with demons fits into that instead of just narrowly focusing on the casting out of uh, demons. So before we get into this passage today, what I want to do is point you towards a couple resources. I've spent the last couple months trying to uh, get my head into this world. And I've spent more time thinking about demons and the demonic in the last two months than I have in the entirety of the, you know, 35 years of my life previous to that combined. And so I've done a lot of uh, reading and lots of conversations and looked at some resources. And so I just want to point you towards a couple of those in case those are things that you would want to go look more into yourself. Uh, There's a book called Against the Darkness. The Doctrine of Angels, Satan, and Demons by Graham Cole. This is a very accessible book that my guess is that many of you could just pick up and read, and it wouldn't be difficult for you to understand. There may be parts that you feel are more or less relevant to the questions that you may have specifically, but this is a relatively short book, less than 200 pages, and it's uh, just a really helpful resource. Uh, A second book I don't have a physical copy of. I have a digital version of this. It's a book by Michael Heiser called Demons what the Bible really says about the uh, forces of darkness. And this is a very scholarly, very academic, like lots of Hebrew and lots of original language stuff. So this is maybe not the best place if you're like trying to just dip your toes into the waters of thinking about these things. Don't go buy this book, okay? Let someone like me read that book and then we can just talk about what the book says. Um, Another resource that I uh, found really helpful was a... Uh, an article I read by Mark Batlook called Exorcism and the Structure of Mark's Gospel. So those are just a couple of resources. And there's other resources like commentaries and stuff. So if you, if you want more information about that, I'm happy to point you towards some of those. Uh, but it has, uh, and I mean this in the best possible way, it has been a labor of love for me uh, to you over the last number of months to be thinking about this and trying to prepare for uh, this really important, uh, important conversation. Uh, one more little sort of order of business on the front end. Uh, obviously there is not time or space for me to talk about everything that you might want me to talk about. Okay. We have one, like 30 minute chunk of time. And my goal today is to try and do my best to summarize like vast amounts of information, both within the Bible itself, as well as, uh, those who help us understand the Bible and write books about the Bible. And so, uh, you're going to leave here today with questions. And you're going to leave here today saying, oh, I wish you would have talked about this and I wish you would have talked about that. And let me just tell you, me too. (laughs) Okay, I wish I could talk about all those things as well. But like Suzanne said, if she gives announcements until 1230 and then the sermon doesn't even start until then and I talk about whatever I want to talk about, you may as well just like set up your tent in the entryway and we'll just keep the thing going until next week. So not gonna gonna do that. Not gonna do that. You sound excited now, I promise. few hours in, you won't be nearly as excited. Um, So anyways, uh, I just want to ask you to extend a uh, unreasonable and unusual amount of grace to me this morning as I try and talk about this really difficult subject. So as we come to this passage, I want to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you, his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? who stoops down to look on the earth. Praise the Lord. Jesus, this morning, we also, with the psalmist, echo, there is no one like you. You are the one who rules over the nations. You rule over the heavens and the earth and everything that you have created. You are the one who has authority. You are the one who has power and dominion and sovereignty over all things. And we are grateful that we can come before you today, both in the name and in the authority of the Lord Jesus. We ask, the Lord, that as we talk about this really challenging subject, as we talk about the realm of the demonic, that you would protect us. We pray that you would bind the evil one and that you would enable us to hear the good news this morning. And that you would enable us to leave here today with an unshakable hope in your present and future, rule and reign over all things. We pray all this in the name and in the authority of our Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay. So let's think together about this passage from Mark chapter 6. And as we look at these verses that you heard read, what I want to kind of just uh, sort of pull out as a way of sort of organizing what we're going to talk about this morning is I want to just observe from this passage what it tells us about the nature of the mission. Okay, we see Jesus here sending his disciples out on mission, and these verses tell us something about the nature of that mission. So from the very beginning of the book, Mark has framed the entire ministry of Jesus as an act of spiritual war. The entire life and ministry of Jesus has been framed since the very beginning of the book as a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And so that's the nature of the mission. It's the nature of the mission that Jesus came on to wage war against the kingdom of darkness. And it's the nature of the mission that Jesus sends us out on as his apprentices and as his followers. So I want to just show you from the book of Mark that I'm not making this up. And so I want to just trace this theme for just a moment here until chapter 6. So at the beginning of Mark, we see that John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the wilderness. And immediately after Jesus is baptized and his divine identity is confirmed over him, Jesus is then sent out into another part of the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan. Now, interestingly the language that's used there is actually a lot stronger than comes across in our English translations. You know, it says that the Holy Spirit sent Jesus out. It's actually the word for cast out. And it's the same word that later is used of Jesus casting out demons. So Jesus casts out demons and the Holy Spirit in chapter one, casts Jesus out into the wilderness where he goes to war. He goes to battle with Satan. He's tempted by Satan. And unlike Matthew and Luke, who tell us how the story turns out, Mark doesn't tell us. Mark gives us like one sentence that just says, Jesus was cast out into the wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan. And we know nothing about, what well, was Jesus victorious? <laughs> Did Jesus win? What was it like? What, it, what happened? We don't know any of that. And so the way we figure out whether Jesus was victorious or not is we keep reading, <laughs> And as we keep reading the book of Mark, just a few verses later, we read from Mark's perspective what he gives us as the first act of public ministry, which is simultaneously the first miracle of Jesus. And so this first miracle of Jesus, do you remember what it is? Jesus cast out a demon. So Jesus goes into the wilderness and he does battle with Satan. And the first public act of ministry we see from Jesus in the book of Mark that he records for us is that Jesus cast out a demon. He was in the synagogue and a man with an unclean spirit came up to him and Jesus simply spoke and that demon, under the authority of Jesus, had to flee and had to leave. And then later, we see the first time that Jesus actually goes into Gentile territory. He comes across, he comes into confrontation with not only just a demon, but with a horde of demons. He meets this man that we read about just a few weeks ago, who is possessed by this legion of demons, and in the same way that Jesus simply spoke and that one demon had to flee from that man in the synagogue, Jesus speaks, and at the power of his word, that legion of demons must flee from this man, and they leave him. And then he's sitting there in his right mind. And so what we begin to sort of see a picture of is, okay, Jesus doesn't just have authority over individual demons. Like, he can win when it's one-on-one. No, we see this picture that Jesus has authority not over only uh, over individual demons. Jesus has authority over the demonic. And so this horde of demons poses no threat to Jesus. He simply speaks, and they have to flee. Jesus has unmatched and unrivaled authority against these spiritual forces of darkness. So you see, you've got Jesus before his ministry, before he lifts a finger. Before Jesus preached a sermon, before he called the disciple, he goes to war with Satan in the wilderness. And then this first public act of ministry, as Mark records it, is he casts out a demon. first time he goes into Gentile territory, he comes in conflict with this horde of demons. And then we come here in chapter six, where Jesus finally sends his disciples out on mission. And I just want you to ask me to, uh, to look at this, I want, you to, I want to ask you to look at this passage with me in verse seven where it says that calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So again, we see Mark here emphasizing the spiritual war aspect of the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his disciples that he sends them out on. Now, when Jesus, when Mark records for us that Jesus gave them authority over demons, if all we had was this verse, we would come away with the conclusion that Jesus sent them out only and exclusively to cast out demons. Because that's all he tells us, is that he gave them authority to cast out demons. And so it's like, okay, well, that's what he sent them out to do. But we know that that's not actually true. Because Mark then summarizes what the disciples actually did. And we read about that in verse 12, where it says they went out and what? And preached that people should repent. And yes, they cast out demons. And yes, they healed people. Casting out demons was one of the things that Jesus sent his disciples out to do. It was not the only thing, and it was not even the primary thing he sent them out to do. He sent them out to announce the good news, to preach that people should repent. And so the question is, well, why does does he record only Jesus' one instruction when it says that he gave him authority to cast out demons? Mark sort of front loads that. In his instruction, uh, as he records Jesus' instruction to his disciples, to again emphasize the spiritual war aspect of being sent out on mission with Jesus. Mark wants us as his disciples to know what exactly it is that we are stepping into as we go out on mission with Jesus. We are stepping into a spiritual war. We are stepping into a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And so that's the nature of the mission. And so that then leads us to the question, okay, what does it look like for us to wage war against the kingdom of darkness? And if you know me well, you're not surprised by my answer, which is, well, it depends. (laughs) Okay, it depends. It depends on what exactly we are finding ourselves coming up against. It depends on what kind of demonic activity or demonic influence we're actually uh, experiencing or seeing. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that the Bible talks about this Uh, and gives two primary ways that we see demonic influence and activity in our world today, okay? So the first way is uh, we see it in a very direct way, and then the second way is in an indirect way, okay? So the direct way, let's think about that for a moment. This would be a person who's possessed by a demonic spiritual being, okay? So this is a very direct form of demonic influence, a person who is possessed by a demonic spiritual being, so we would say of, of a person in that situation that they are oppressed, that they are terrorized, that they are demonized, that they are, uh, that they are you know, in common vernacular, they're possessed by a demon, uh, they are in some way sort of taken hostage against their will. Uh, this is what we see in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. He comes in contact with people that have been, in some ways, uh, their sense of agency has been kind of overridden by the power of these spiritual beings. And so remember, the last place we saw this in Mark was with this man who's possessed by a legion of demons. So he comes across this man who is uh, possessed, and what this man experienced with this legion of demons cannot be explained away as some sort of emotional or psychological disorder. Right? The only thing that can explain this is demonic activity. And then, to add to that, Jesus speaks has conversations with these demonic beings, which means that Jesus is not speaking to this man's sort of ongoing childhood trauma. He's speaking to a man who's possessed by an impure spirit, who's possessed by a demon. And so it's a very direct form of uh, demonic influence or activity is to be, uh, in a way, possessed by a demon. And we see this all the time in the ministry of Jesus. And this is also something uh, that we could see and experience in the world today as well. This is, uh, this is the form of demonic influence or activity that we tend to, um, tend to sort of emphasize because it's sensational, because it's extraordinary, because it looks so unusual to us. But this is not even close to the most common form of demonic influence that we see and experience in our world today. So there's the direct which is uh, far and away the least common form of demonic activity we see. But then there is an indirect form of demonic influence, and that would be a person who has given themselves over to demonic influence. In the book of Ephesians, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of Jesus followers, and he's giving them all sorts of ethical instructions. He's telling them how to live. And he says all sorts of things, Such as, he says, put off falsehood, speak truthfully, don't let the sun go down in your anger, don't steal, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, get rid of all bitterness and malice and slander. And he gives this long list of ethical instructions and like stuck right in the middle of all those ethical instructions, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. And you're like, well, that's weird. Like, (laughs) we're... That might not seem to fit with what he's saying, but I think the point is this. The point that Paul is making is that when we live in entrenched patterns of unrepentant sin, we are actively choosing to give Satan a foothold in our life. That when we choose to live in entrenched patterns of unrepentant, undealt with, unconfessed, unfought sin, we are opening ourselves up And not even just opening ourselves up, we are actively handing ourselves over to demonic forms of influence that we can't even begin to understand. Now, of course, when we think of, you know, we think of uh, giving the the devil a foothold and like, you know, messing around with dark things, we tend to think of things like uh, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and witchcraft, and things like this. And I'm I'm not downplaying those things at all. But what Paul is saying here, as he puts this uh, command to not let the devil have a foothold in the midst of all these ethical instructions, is he 's saying, when you nurse a grudge against someone that you just don 't like, you are opening yourself up, you are handing yourself over to demonic influence, you are giving the devil a foothold in your life when you choose to retreat into uh, into hiding with addiction, you are giving the demonic and influence in your life, when you choose to slander or to malign, when you choose to just sort of not fight the sin that you ought to be fighting because, you know, I'm just going to justify it because it's just just where I want to stay. When we justify sin like that and live in entrenched patterns of unrepentant sin, we are opening ourselves up and handing ourselves over to demonic influence. And this is by far the most common form of demonic influence that we would see and experience in the world today. And remember, Paul is speaking to followers of Jesus here. Paul is speaking to Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, saying, Do you realize that when you live this way, when you choose to live in these patterns of unrepentant sin, you are opening yourself up to be influenced by satanic, demonic things, And it's scary because we don't even recognize it. It's scary because, you know, we think, well, this sin pattern that I have, you know, no one else knows about this. It's hidden. It doesn't affect anyone else. It's in the secret. It's in the dark. And Paul would say, you have no idea what you're opening yourself up to. And so this is one of the ways that we see or experience demonic influence is by people. It could be those of us sitting in this room who are followers of Jesus. It could be those who are not yet followers of Jesus living in entrenched patterns of unrepentance. And we hand ourselves over to demonic activity and demonic influence. And it's a scary thing because we don't even recognize it. So these are the two ways that we see demonic influence and activity is a direct way and an indirect way. And so then we're back to our original question, right? What does it look like for us to wage war against these demonic spiritual forces? I'm going to suggest two ways that we wage war. Each of them connected to, uh, one of them connected to the direct, one of them connected to the indirect, okay? So I'm going to spend uh, far more time on the first one here. But I think we wage war by exercising the authority we've received from Jesus, okay? That's how we wage war, is we exercise the authority that we have received from Jesus, Don't rush past verse 7 and miss how significant it is that it says, Jesus began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. Jesus gave his disciples authority over demons. So not only does Jesus himself have unmatched and unrivaled authority, Jesus gives us that same authority as we are sent out. In other words, we are not sent out with some like uh, off-brand authority, right? Jesus has not given us like the Mr. Pib of spiritual authority. (laughs) It's not like the mountain lightning of spiritual authority. No, Jesus has given us every ounce of the authority that he possesses over the demonic realm. He's given that to us. And there are times where we may encounter situations where we need to exercise that authority that Jesus has given us. And so, okay, what in the world does that look like? You just sort of get into, you know, peel back the layers and there's all these questions. And that's why we should, you know, have a whole sermon series on this. But that's a different subject. Uh, A while back, Pastor Matt and I were sitting in my office. This was years ago now. We were sitting in my office with someone who was there who was convinced that they were experiencing demonic activity. This person was saying, you know, I, I, I hear very loud, very clear voices. And I think that what I'm experiencing is some form of demonic activity. I think I'm being harassed by a demon. And I knew enough about this person and their life history to have a suspicion that it wasn't demonic activity, that it was something related to like mental health. But Matt and I are sitting there with this person who came to us and said, I think I'm I'm having demonic activity in my life. And because we didn't know And because in the moment there was no way for us to know whether this was a mental health crisis or a demonic sort of thing, what we did in that moment was we stepped out in faith and sitting right across the hall in my office, we did an exorcism. And so what that looked like, it was not weird. It was not like there was nothing crazy. Things didn't fly around the room. We prayed for this person. And we claimed the authority of Jesus and commanded that if there was any demonic activity or demonic presence that was associated with what this person was experiencing, we claimed the authority of Jesus and commanded any demonic spirit to leave. I found out, uh, if I remember correctly, a couple of weeks later, I found out that this person was uh, then diagnosed with like a really severe form of bipolar and was getting on certain medications and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, Like, okay, on the one hand, we have to have the discernment to know what we're dealing with, right? We have to have the discernment to look at a situation and say, okay, is this demonic activity? (laughs) Like, is this demonic or is this like a a mental health thing? Is this a, uh, a, a, like a a medical thing? Is this a emotional or a psychological thing? Or is there like some sort of demonic activity here? So on the one hand, we have to have the, 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 the awareness and the, Uh, the discernment to know what it is we're looking at. And at the very same time, on the other hand, we have to have the faith to step out and act when we don't know. Because there will almost never be times, unless it's like crazy, like in the movies, someone's head spinning around and things are flying around the room, then it's like, okay, we're pretty clear, like pretty confident. This is like a demonic thing. But most of the time, it's not going to be that way. And so what we don't know in every case is, is this demonic or is this mental health? Is this demonic or is this like a psychological disorder this person has? And, and even if it is a psychological disorder, is there some sort of like demonic influence behind that? And you get into all these questions. So we don't know all of those things and we can't know all of those things. But what we do know is that the evil one loves to rob and kill and destroy. And so every single time we see a situation where we say, you know, there may be more than meets the surface here. There may be more happening than maybe meets the eye. And maybe, you know, maybe this is just like a mental health thing. Or maybe there's some sort of demonic activity here. Because we don't know, we step out in faith and we can claim the authority of Jesus. And that takes courage, right? That takes faith because that could get weird fast. Like on the one hand, like we can't, there's like two ditches we can fall into, right? The one ditch is to be like, that stuff isn't real. We don't see demonic possession anymore. We don't really see demonic activity in our world. So like, we just don't think about that. The other side of that is that there's a demon behind every rock and everything that we see, there's some sort of like magical, mystical, demonic thing behind it. And both of those are wrong, right? So we have to have the discernment to know what is it that we're looking at and the courage to step out in faith when we don't know. And that takes, that takes courage because it's like, yeah, we could look kind of dumb, we prayed, f- we prayed for that person in my office and nothing happened. But what did happen was my faith was strengthened and Matt's faith was strengthened and that person's faith was strengthened. We lived in obedience to what we thought Jesus was asking us to do. And you may find yourself in situations where you um, claim the authority of Jesus and nothing happens and it's like, okay, I guess it didn't work and that's okay. It doesn't have to be weird. And so we can claim the authority that Jesus has given us. And that is one of the ways that we wage war against the spiritual forces of darkness. Now you may be thinking like, okay, that sounds really scary. That sounds weird. I'm not really interested in going there. Uh, It does sound terrifying. And in a way it should, because we're dealing with demonic spiritual forces. It shouldn't be neat and easy and clean. But here's the thing, as you go out and live on mission with Jesus, and as you go out and in certain situations maybe have to come into sort of like direct confrontation with what you're convinced are demonic spiritual forces, as you face that and as you, you deal with the fear or the anxiety of that, here's what you need to know. Every single time you are called to come up against the demonic, you have everything that you need. Every single time. Without fail, if you sense God is calling you to come into some sort of uh, conflict with the world of the demonic, you have everything that you need. And it has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's a derived authority that we've been given from Jesus. Jesus has given us his authority. There's no power in me, there's no authority in me that a demon or some demonic spiritual being should have to flee in my presence. Nothing. But I don't have my authority. I don't have my power. I have the authority and the power that's been given to me by Jesus. And so every single time I or you come into any situation where you think there's even a hint of demonic activity. And if that's actually what's happening in every single case, you have everything that you need. So the second way that we can wage war against the kingdom of darkness, and I'll be really quick on this one. We wage war by pursuing lives of holiness. If living in entrenched patterns of unrepentant sin opens the door in our lives for demonic influence, and I don't, I, I don't even know if I could like tell you exactly what that means, what that looks like. I don't even know. But if living in those patterns of unrepentant, un entrenched sin is what opens the door for that kind of thing, it slams the door closed when we pursue and choose lives of holiness, when we pursue and choose lives of obedience to Jesus and live lives of faithfulness and live lives of righteousness and we obey everything that God has commanded us in every area of life, that slams the door closed on that demonic influence. And so this is one of the ways... This is like the the daily, like most common bread and butter, ordinary, unglamorous way that we wage spiritual war on a daily basis is by choosing lives of holiness. The way that we pursue this is we look at every single area of our life. We look at every single area of, of the sin and the brokenness and the idolatry that exists within us that is the result of being deceived by the evil one And we put a stake in the ground and we say, I'm taking my life back. You don't have authority over me. You don't have power over me. And so I'm taking my life back. And we choose to live lives of obedience to Jesus. And in doing so, we wage war against the kingdom of darkness. The only way that we can face the sin and the idolatry and the brokenness in our lives. And the only way that we can face coming head to head with demonic things is by cultivating a deep sense of awareness that the battle is already won. That's the only way we can do it. And so what we know is that Jesus is not only our crucified suffering servant. Jesus is also our risen and ascended ruling and reigning king who right now in this very moment is ruling and reigning over all things, He has authority and dominion over all things. And for those of us who are in Christ, our lives are hidden in him, which means that his victory and his authority over the realm of the demonic and over death and over hell belongs to us. As we come to the communion table today, we get to remember and celebrate that good news that in the most unexpected way, the cross proves the victory and the authority of Jesus over the spiritual forces of darkness. And as we come forward today and receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, one of the things that we are doing is we are claiming that victory for ourselves. We are entrusting ourselves to Jesus, recognizing we have zero inherent spiritual authority. We have zero inherent spiritual power but we get to come forward and receive Jesus and claim his authority and his power as our own, not to be used for like weird self-promoting endeavors, but we claim that as our own because Jesus has given it to us. And so we get to remember and celebrate that today. So I want to leave just a few moments of silence. Uh, Maybe you need just a moment to sort of like sit on something that you heard this morning. Uh, Maybe you need some time for reflection or for confession Uh, I just want to leave a few minutes of you to have that space. So let's take a few minutes of silence and then we will come together to celebrate Christ at the table.